Welcome to Dead Wax. I'm Sean, your host. Let's explore some lost recordings, forgotten artists, and old record history from the days of the 78 RPM record. Let's talk about the elephant in the room when it comes to early music and recordings. Authenticity comes from being original, as no one individual shares the same unique experience as another. Authenticity evolves with experience. We expand our own authenticity by repeated exposure to other cultures and people. Borrowing from other cultures is inevitable. But there are positive ways in which this can be done. In the early days of the recording industry, this did not occur for the most part. Music executives and many artists took the works of black musicians and repackaged them as the product of white artists. African-American influences are so fundamental to American music that there would be no American music without them. Now, ragtime emerged and would dominate the first 15 years of the 20th century. At its core were the techniques rooted in African music. This method was known as ragging a tune in which any tune could be improvised while maintaining its harmonic structure. Every genre that is born of America has black roots. One of my favorite examples of a rag is Scott Joplin's Maple Leaf Rag.
what a legend. Also a legend, Columbia Records. The oldest surviving brand name in the recording sound business. The Columbia Phonograph Company was founded in 1889 by stenographer, lawyer, and New Jersey native Edward D. Easton. It derives its name from the District of Columbia, where it was headquartered. At first, it had a local monopoly on sales and service of Edison phonographs and phonograph cylinders in the Washington, D.C., Maryland, and Delaware area. In order to add prestige to its early catalog of artists, Columbia contracted a number of New York metropolitan opera stars to make recordings, but the technical standard of these recordings was not considered to be as high as the results achieved with classical singers during the pre-World War I period by Victor Edison and England's His Master's Voice. In 1908, Columbia commenced successful mass production of what they call their double-faced disc, the 10-inch variety initially selling for 65 cents apiece. The firm also introduced the internal horn Graffinola to compete with the extremely popular Victrola. One of their first artists was Arthur Francis Collins. He was an American baritone who was one of the most prolific and beloved of pioneer recording artists. Regarded in his day as king of ragtime singers. And if you haven't guessed yet, he was white. He was born in Philadelphia and he moved with his family to Barnegat, New Jersey around 1879. Now, talent scouts for Edison Records requested Collins audition for them. And according to his wife, it took place on May 16, 1898. Collins proved one of the most productive and successful singers in the record business. And in his long career between 1898 and 1926, he worked for every record company active in the United States. He specialized in what were popular African-American dialect numbers that were associated with vaudeville and minstrel shows. Collins also utilized an array of vocal effects and caricature voices which gave the impression that there were multiple persons at the horn of his recordings, though it was just Collins. Now, Arthur recorded hundreds of songs, and in many cases he recorded the same song multiple times for various recording outfits. His signature song was The Preacher and the Bear, which he first recorded in 1905. Now, this song used a derogatory stereotype of African Americans that was just all too prevalent in that era. Now, here's a lesser offensive recording called Waiting for the Robert E. Lee. Come and sway and it's a good ship 
In 1913, Columbia moved into the Woolworth Building in New York City, and it housed its first recording studio there in 1917. Columbia used this studio to make one of the earliest jazz records by the original Dixieland Jazz Band. Now that's jazz with two S's. Here they are with Livery Stable Blues.
1926, Columbia acquired OK Records and its growing stable of jazz and blues artists, which included Louis Armstrong and Clarence Williams. They had already built a catalog of blues and jazz artists that included Bessie Smith. Columbia also had a successful Hillbilly series with Paul Whiteman, the nation's most popular orchestra leader, when he left Victor to record for Columbia during the same year. Now, Columbia executive Frank Buckley Walker pioneered some of the first music or hillbilly genre recordings with the Johnson City Sessions in Tennessee, including artists such as Clarence Horton Green and fiddling Charlie Bowman. He followed that with a return to Tennessee the next year, as well as recording sessions in other cities of the South. Moran and Mack as the Two Black Crows 1926 recording, The Early Bird Catches the Worm, sold 2.5 million copies. And Alexander's Ragtime Band, which is a Tin Pan Alley song by American composer Irving Berlin, was released in 1911 and is often inaccurately cited as his first global hit. Despite its title, the song is a march as opposed to a rag and contains little syncopation. But on May 23, 1911, it was recorded by the comic duo of Arthur Collins and Byron G. Harlan and it became the best-selling record in the United States for 10 consecutive weeks. Collins survived into the early years of the Jazz Age, and he and Harlan recorded the earliest record known to mention jazz. It was called that funny jazz band from Dixieland. Again, jazz spelt with an S. Now here's Alexander's Ragtime Band. Thank 
By 1937-38, the record business was finally recovering from the near-death blow of the Great Depression. The formation of Columbia Broadcast Systems, Inc., CBS. Then, in 1947, the company was renamed Columbia Records, Inc. Now, Columbia Records now remains a premier subsidiary label of Sony Music Entertainment. As for Arthur Collins... During a personal appearance at the Princess Theatre in Medina, Ohio on October 20, 1921, Collins was badly injured when he fell through an open trap door. Now, while he recovered well enough to resume his singing and recording career, his health began to decline afterward, and in 1926, Collins retired, relocating to Florida with his wife, where he died at the age of 69 in Tice, Florida on August 3rd, 1933. Now, let's close with the Empress of the Blues, Bessie Smith, an American blues singer widely renowned during the jazz age. She was the most popular female blues singer in the 1920s and 1930s. She is often regarded as one of the greatest singers of her era. Born in Chattanooga, Smith was young when her parents died, and she and her six siblings survived by performing on street corners. She began touring and performing in a group that included Ma Rainey, and then went out on her own. Her successful recording career with Columbia Records began in 1923, but her performing career was cut short by a car crash that killed her at the age of 43. Here's Bessie with Downhearted Blues.
Thanks for listening. Make sure you tell your friends. Please, you know, leave your comments and ideas for future shows. I'm Sean. This was Dead Wax. And we'll catch you on the flip side.